wasn't until I became an adult that I really began to look back on our life as a family and wonder, uh, why did we change churches when I was so young, maybe six years old? I don't know that I questions then or would have known what questions to answer or ask or would have even understood the answers that my parents would have given me. But as an adult, when I got older, I asked them the question, why did you leave this particular church? And my father said to me then, among other things, that the pastor of the church had began uh, begun to publicly question the realities that science and history uh, were discovering at the time. Now, there were other things that he would say, but I want to give you one example that this said uh, publicly somewhere in 1979-1980. Pastor publicly came out and questioned whether the United States of America had ever really people to the moon and certainly questioned whether they had, whether we had walked on the moon or not. And there were other things that he questioned, but I bring that to you today because my parents were faced with a situation where science and nation were telling us one thing, that we had sent men to the moon and we have pictures of them walking on the moon and have a pastor who's questioning that reality. And I go back to that this morning for you because there was a basic question that my parents had to address in their own life at that time, and it was, what is true? What is true about what uh, science is telling us? What is true about what uh, uh, history is telling us? What is true about what the media is telling us? And that then gives us the question, what is reality? What really has happened? And what they came to the conclusion was, was it was time for us to go to a different church. That's not part of the story or the reason I bring the story to you this morning, but we changed churches at the time. And I want us to address, though, the question this morning, not where do you go to church, but what is reality? What is true as you deal in your life and I deal in my life as our nation deals with these questions? We have come a long way since 1960s to today in addressing the question, what is true? What is reality for us? This week, the text before us addresses the central question of Christianity. I don't think that I could overemphasize enough for you the importance of the text before us this morning. This is the central question of Christianity. It is the central truth of our faith. And the question is this, did Jesus rise from the dead? Did he rise from the dead? You see, that is the distinguishing mark of Christianity. If he rose from the dead, then all that he taught was true. Forgiveness from sin is ours in him. Eternal life is indeed possible. If he didn't, on the other hand, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, and by that I mean in reality, If he did not, in the body, Jesus of Nazareth, rise from the dead, then everything he taught is questionable at best and intentional deception at worst. Paul says, if Christ be not raised, then we are to be pitied more than any other man, any other people in all of history. So, Last week, we considered Christ's death through four 
questions. Is he the king of the Jews? What shall we do with Christ? Why didn't Jesus come off the cross? And what does the cross mean for us today? Let's continue our questions of the text of the gospel of Matthew as we look at the resurrection of Jesus. And I just have two questions for us this morning. And the first one is, did Jesus rise from the dead? Did Jesus indeed rise from the dead. You understand, church, this is the central distinctive of Christianity. All of the religions, all religious people in all cultures, in all times, throughout all of history, have proclaimed some type of salvation, some type of, I know that I am not right and I need to do something to make it right. And that is salvation. Every religion that has ever been proclaim some type of salvation. And so there are scientists and sociologists and psychologists that would tell us today, oh, well, they're all the same. All religions are just the same. They all have a path to salvation. As a matter of fact, I would go further and say all major world religions today, study any major world religion and as well, secular history, those who have no nothing to do with religion. Secular history and all world religions agree on this. Jesus of Nazareth lived and died. All of them agree with that. Most of them agree that Jesus of Nazareth has an entire body of teaching by which the world was changed. But there is only one religion that says he is alive. It is the distinctive mark of Christianity and it is the foundation and the base of our faith in a Savior who would die for us and overcome death on our behalf offering both forgiveness and Life. So the question this morning that we address in front of us, the text that we have just read is this, did Jesus rise from the dead? You see, pluralism dies here. There is no way to argue that all religions are the same because of the resurrection. There is no way to argue it. So let me say this as clearly as I can. In the days ahead, and if you're listening in this day, there are many who are arguing that all religions are the same. They are not. They have some explanation of Jesus and his purported resurrection. And so this morning, as you look at the text before you and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary going to the tomb and an angel of the Lord appearing there, rolling the tomb back with an earthquake, sitting on the tomb and saying, look, here is where he lay. He is not here. He is risen. We must determine this morning, you must determine why, what happened at the tomb? There are at least four that I will give you anyway this morning, explanations of the text in front of us. Number one, there are those that say Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Let me give you two examples of that. The first one comes from uh, Islam. 
Muslims believe in Jesus Christ. When I was in Turkey not too long ago, I was able to talk to plenty of folks that were more than willing to talk to me about Jesus. They were more than willing to talk to me about the prophet Jesus and what he said and what he taught. And they have a a great perspective or or excuse me, a great uh, attitude toward Jesus uh, because the Bible is one of their books. 600 years after Jesus died, though, there was another prophet greater than Jesus that came that gave them an explanation of what happened at the cross. This is Islam. This is not Christianity. Let me be clear. I'm not telling you what happened. I'm telling you what they teach. Muhammad came and wrote a book in which they would say and they have to believe that it was not really Jesus that died on the cross. It was someone that looked like Jesus. And so Jesus never died on the cross. He would never have been allowed by God to suffer like that. And so it had to be someone else. They just mistook who died on the cross for Jesus. So this gets them out of any argument about the resurrection. Neither Jesus nor Muhammad is alive today. They worship dead prophets. There's another way that you can come about this to say that Jesus didn't die on the cross. We'll call this the swoon theory. Uh, In other words, Jesus didn't really die. He was taken off the cross prematurely, put in the grave, and on the third day, somehow, he miraculously was healed from all that uh, beating and uh, came forth, and they said he rose from the dead. Let me just remind you, Jesus was beaten to within an inch of his life. Literally, he took 39 lashes from the whip. He was beaten with rods. He had a crown of thorns jammed upon his head. He had nails driven through both his hands and his feet and at his last breath he had a spear driven into his side and we're to think that in three days somehow he came forth from a tomb healed ready to walk to Galilee to meet his uh, uh, companions there and it just doesn't hold up to the facts that we all agree on about the death of cross uh, death of Jesus on the on the cross Not to mention the guards that were placed outside the tomb to make sure no one entered into or out of the tomb. Jesus must have just come by, come back awake, and and slid the the big stone over and slipped by the guards somehow to get to Galilee. So Jesus didn't die on the cross. The second theory of what you read about in Matthew chapter 28 just a moment is the theory that we find there specifically in verses 11 through 15 the stolen body theory Matthew reports to us very clearly here what happened as far as this theory goes the Jewish authorities made this theory up and they perpetuated it. They promised the, uh, the protection of the Roman soldiers and would say that Jesus somehow was stolen by his disciples. His body was stolen and proclaimed that he was risen. The only problem with this theory, as there would be more things to talk about here, but uh, is that Paul would even say, as he is defending the resurrection in 1 Corinthians, he would say, there are over 500 people that have seen him walking around teaching. In other words, they were alive in that day. If you wanted to disprove Jesus' resurrection, go talk to one of the over 500 that have seen him. And certainly you'll find somebody that says, no, it really wasn't him. He says there's 500 witnesses to his resurrection. 
And so the stolen body theory falls. Thirdly, there's a spiritual resurrection theory. This is that the disciples were really just delusional after uh, the death of Christ. They were so down and depressed that they became uh, uh, delusional and would even some of them hallucinate to the point that they thought it was reality. That they really did think Jesus was alive. They so ingrained in their minds his teaching that he would come back that they actually saw him. And today we perpetuate a religion that says, oh, Jesus is raised from the dead. He's raised in us. He's raised in his spirit. And so the spirit of Jesus lives on, even though his body. We talk like this sometimes in uh, our funerals. We say, even though the body is dead, may their spirit or their memory live on in us. But we know they're dead. We're not saying that they've raised from the dead. Here, the theory is that somehow Jesus has spiritually resurrected from the dead amongst the people that started a religion Well, friends, if that's the case, then all that Jesus taught is a lie. And so we go back to he was either delusional and intentionally or intentionally deceiving us because he said he would rise from the dead. Fourth one is where Matthew is in our text, where I am, where this church stands, that Jesus actually raised from the dead, the bodily resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. It was not someone else. It was not in spirit. It was that Jesus overcame death and walked out of the tomb. And the question then this morning is, what is reality? To understand that question, we say, can you know this was certain? It's called plausibility. Can we know for certain Jesus walked out of the tomb? I would say to you this morning, 100% certainty is difficult. 100% certainty on anything is difficult. You see, how do we prove that things have happened in the past? There are a couple of books that I would recommend to you on this very topic about Jesus rising from the dead. One is Josh McDowell wrote a book that's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Another one is by Lee Strobel who who wrote The Case for Christ. These are books that will address some of these issues. But I want to tell you this morning what you and I certainly think is seeing is believing. How would you know it? Because I saw it with my own eyes. I've said in the last two weeks to, to folks, I would not have believed that would have happened if I had not seen it with my own eyes. You could have told me and I would have said, yeah, okay, that's fine. I would have wrote it off in my mind. Why? Because if I see it with my own eyes, I believe it. Well, none of us have seen the resurrection. As a matter of fact, I'll go further and say you and I didn't see George Washington, but we believe he was indeed the first president of the United States. Well, how do we do that? Plausibility. Those who would report it, if they are uh, uh, are, are, uh, worthy of trust. You see, I would say even further to you, something's going on in our day. Probably, I can't promise this, but if you have, just keep your hand down this morning because most of us have not. Probably no one of us have seen the faces of the presidents or saw the faces of the presidents carved into the rock that is Mount Rushmore. But we believe they're carved there. We don't believe they just happened. Why? Because there's evidence of someone changing the face of that rock. And so this morning, why would I believe that Jesus is bodily raised from the dead? Number one, because there was an empty tomb. They could not. Look, if they wanted to go to a tomb where we had said Jesus rose from the dead, go to the tomb. It is empty. They laid a body there. There is an empty tomb. Secondly, there is no body. Even if Jesus would have been stolen, certainly they had the power over these 12 disciples, 11 now, uh, disciples to go and find the body. They were not able to find a body. 
Evidence is the body was walking around, talking, breathing, teaching. So if they wanted to produce a body that looked like or, or DNA like Jesus, although they wouldn't have tested DNA. You should realize I'm being smart there. Um, they had no body. Thirdly, there were 500 witnesses we've already mentioned. It's hard to come up with these witnesses. By the way, on, the, on, a, on another note, Matthew here records two witnesses for us. Some would say that Matthew and the uh, disciples were just trying to make up this story, that they came up with this story. Let me just make one point to you. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Now, in Jesus' day, if you wanted to prove something and you wanted testimony that would hold up in court, uh, just in their day, a, a testimony of a lady would not hold up in court, would not be a viable or valid witness in court. Why would Matthew make up a story and say, these two ladies are the ones that are telling us Jesus rose from the dead. Because he's reporting reality. Not trying to make up a story. That will prove itself. Just like my mom and dad were dealing with the question of reality. Did Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin really step on to the moon in 1969? Did they really do that? brought this illustration up in the office this week and Matt was talking to me and I said, you know, uh, my parents were, um, were willing to leave a church. Because of that, there are other more complicated issues, but I'll bring that one up to you just to, to deal with it. Matt said, well, I think that might be a reason too. I don't believe we really walked on the moon then. He said, but I'm a big conspiracy theorist guy. And so that brings up to you this morning, just like Matt, he's wondering whether we've ever really walked on the moon. Maybe you said that you do from then. From then, Maybe we have now. I don't know what he believes. Um, but look, here's the, here's the issue. The last thing that I want to bring up, the radical change that happened in the followers of Christ is evidence that Jesus indeed did rise from the dead. Why do I say that? I heard this morning that in our day, currently, this is 2015 numbers, so current as in we have numbers from last year. There were 322 people killed for their faith in Christ every month last year. Every month. There are over 700 people persecuted bodily every month last year for their faith. There were over 200 Christian churches and other gathering places, property of Christians across our world, over 200 that were destroyed or violated in some way every month in 2015. And yet, as we study history, go back to the Roman Empire, which was the empire that was the most antagonistic against Christians and those who were following Christ. And you'll find that from the very day that Jesus was born until this day, Christians, people who follow after Christ, have been persecuted. And certainly after Jesus' resurrection, a movement happened that swept the entire world, that took the lives of the disciples. One was exiled because of his faith. Paul and Peter and Andrew and James, they're all killed because they believed one truth. Jesus is alive. Matt would not give his shirt 
for the belief that we didn't walk on the moon. Much less his life. There were people that saw the risen Christ and they said, we cannot, we cannot recant our faith because he's alive. Friends, this morning, the reality is Jesus is alive. The Bible records it for us in Matthew chapter 28, the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary go to the tomb as they approach. Look at it. The earth shakes. The stone is rolled away to reveal to them the empty tomb. The angel of the Lord who comes and the earthquake comes with the angel of the Lord is sitting on the stone. His appearance is like lightning. His clothes as white as snow. And he shows them the empty tomb. The guards are lying on the ground like dead men out of fear of this angel of the Lord. And the angel says to the ladies, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. I think the most most precious words in all of the gospel of Matthew, he is not here for he is risen. My friends, Jesus came out of the tomb and he is alive. And he says to them, go and tell his disciples that he will meet them in Galilee. As they go, they see Jesus in his resurrected body. And what do they do? Verse 10, excuse me, verse 9, they worship him. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Friends, this morning I want you to know, everybody in this room, I can't answer it for you. I can give you the evidence. I can't answer it for you. But not only all of history, Not only all of our faith, your life and your eternity is based on what do you believe about Jesus? Did he rise from the dead? Second question this morning, then what does the resurrection mean? What does it mean that Jesus rose from the dead? If you're taking notes, I want to give you a couple of statements. I'm going to have to hurry through these or you'll never make it to your Bible study hour. Let me give you a couple of statements. Here's what the resurrection of Jesus means. Number one, number one, death and sin have no power and authority over you. Both are defeated. Death and sin have no power and authority over you. Both are defeated defeated. If the cross is the display of God's love, as we said earlier, if the cross is the display of his love for us in Jesus, then and, and, and this display of where his love brought him to take the penalty of our sin. In other words, the wrath of God for us, the suffering and the death that Jesus experienced is shown to us in the cross. The penalty was paid for our sin. If that is the cross displaying the love of God, then the resurrection is a demonstration of the power of God, the authority of God, as he not only takes upon himself the full wrath of God, but he overcomes the penalty of our sin by overcoming death. Church, we have said many times, and right here we are at the climax of what we have said that the entire Bible is about, and that is from Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fell, when sin entered into creation, God had made a promise. When you sin, death will enter. The penalty of sin is death. And from that moment until the moment that you and I are reading about in Matthew 28, the question has been, can 
we overcome death. Is there any escape from the death that was promised by God who will not go back on his promises? But also there in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, there is a promise by our God that the seed of the woman would crush the head of Satan. And from that point on, we have been asking from Cain, Abel, Seth, Noah, Abraham, Moses, the prophets, John the Baptist, all the way to the one that was prophesied, Jesus. When Jesus comes, the Bible says, this is that one. We have been asking, who would crush the head of Satan? Who would overcome the penalty of falling to sin? The penalty of following after Satan? And the question has been definitively answered for us at the resurrection, at the empty tomb. He is not here. Can death be defeated? Oh yes, my friend. Death is defeated because Jesus walked out of the grave overcoming all of the penalty of your sin and mine. And And he is alive. Oh, praise his name. The cross is the display of God's love. The resurrection is the display of God's power. Secondly, that means Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Matthew begins his gospel. He is the son of David, the son of Abraham, the prophesied Messiah. Jesus is who he claimed to be and he did what he claimed to to do. The resurrection was prophesied in the Old Testament and it now confirms his royal kingship. He is the king who will sit on David's throne forever and ever. The cross fulfills God's promise to overcome sin and death. The resurrection fulfills God's promise to send a forever king. And it is Jesus. This is why the entire sermon series through the gospel of Matthew was entitled the king and his kingdom. Jesus was proclaiming a kingdom and now he has made a way for you to enter into that kingdom. He has said, I am king and I'm inviting you into the royal family because I am the king who will be king forever. The scepter will not depart this lion from the tribe of Judah's house. It is the resurrection that gives us credence and credibility to all that Jesus has said and taught and did. So Jesus is king. Friends, you come to the king and bow to him. Worship him. Follow him. Thirdly, it not only means that Jesus is king, it means that he has all authority. His compassion and care overwhelm us at the cross, but His power and authority overwhelm us at the resurrection. Friends, reflect for me once again. It's the reason that I wanted Matt to sing the song that he sang a while ago. I cast my mind to Calvary. I wanted us as a church just to cast our thoughts for a moment, not only around the cross and the love of God and the compassion and care that He would have for us to send His Son to die for us, but the power and authority that's displayed in the fact that Jesus walked out of the tomb alive. He has all authority. This has been the question through the Gospel of Matthew, has it not? Does he have authority over the demons? Yes, he does. Does he have authority over disaster? Yes, he does. Does he have authority over death? Yes, he does. Why? Because he is the creator. And when he gave his life, do you want to know the answer to the question why Jesus didn't come off the cross? Because he was going to walk out of the tomb. He took your penalty 
so that he could let you know, I don't just have power to take my life. I have power to give it and then to rise from the dead. Why? Because you deserve death and I took it. And he walked out of the grave. Praise be to him. It is the question that the religious leaders had. Who has authority? They claimed all authority. They think, thought that they had won. Satan thought that he had won at the cross. And in those moments when Jesus was in the tomb, the authorities, the religious leaders still maneuvering, still trying to to assure their authority over what might happen. Satan thinks he's won. Jesus, the Son of God, is dead. And then Sunday morning. Jesus walks out of a tomb. Guys, don't ever get over the fact that we're gathered here because there was a man walking on this earth in flesh and blood just like you and I who hung on a cross and bled and died. And he was put in a tomb and he's no longer dead. He's no longer dead. What does this do for your life? What does it do for your financial situation? What does it do for your cancer? What does it do for everything you're facing in your life right now? It changes everything. We don't fear death. Why? Because our King has overcome it. And He's told us we'll live forever in Him. He has all authority. That's what he says, isn't it? This has been the question. Look at verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's what the religious leaders were afraid of. Back in Matthew chapter 7, when he finished the Sermon on the Mount, they, the, 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 the gospel writer reports to us that the people were amazed. Why? Because he taught as one who had authority. It's what offended the religious leaders. It's what threatened the religious leaders. And now Jesus says, I've overcome death. I'm the creator. I'm the king forever. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Follow me, right? Follow me. Fourthly, it means that we can be a part of his kingdom. You see, if Jesus would have died, we could have been a part of those who would talk about what he taught. We could come up with our own religion And say, well, this is who Jesus was and this is what you need to do. This is what all other religions are doing now. They they teach about what Jesus did or what Jesus said or, or all the wonderful spiritual things that Jesus would be about. But they don't have a kingdom that will last forever. They have a belief and a teaching and a moral code that they hope will get them to eternal life. But friends, if Jesus is raised from the dead, as I was thinking about this, Chip and Barb, I thought about you guys. When Chip and Barb were visiting our church, I was talking about the resurrection, sitting at our table at our home, and I kept saying, but if Jesus be not risen, and Barb finally looked at me, she said, but you do believe he's risen, right? And yes, but if he's not, we're to be most pity. But if he is, and let me be clear, he is alive. He has a kingdom that will have no end. He has a kingdom that will have no end, and you can be a part of it. Friend, if you have looked at Jesus as a good teacher, 
If you had looked at this church as a great place to hang out with some good folks, then you have missed why we gather here. We gather because Jesus is alive and he has proclaimed a kingdom. And it's not the kingdom of the United States or the kingdom of Iran or the kingdom of Syria or the kingdom of Africa. It's a kingdom that far supersedes any earthly kingdom. It's not the Roman kingdom or the Greek kingdom or the Western civilization. It outperforms and outlasts any civilization that we've known of in all of history. It will have no end. And he says you can be a part because I died to forgive your sins. Trust me. Bring your burdens to him. Lay your sin down and trust his sacrifice at the cross to be for you. And then follow after this king. Give your life for him. This is a king that we can give our lives to. It's a kingdom that invites you to follow. So what does that look like? Matthew chapter 28 I want you to read with me beginning in verse 16. Matthew chapter 28. Read with me beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in, on earth excuse me, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. What does it mean? If Jesus would not have died, we would not have forgiveness of sins. But if he would not have risen, we would have no hope. But because he's risen, we have hope. Why? The authority is his. And he's given us a clear instruction here. Church, while we cannot separate the cross and the resurrection as they're both central to the finished work of Christ, the cross gives the believer assurance of forgiveness and grace. And the resurrection then assures the believer that the same God who has power to raise his son from the dead can certainly offer us power over sin in our lives and offer us eternal life in his kingdom. And that life is described for us in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. Two primary headings, worship and obey. What does it mean that Jesus has risen? It means that you can be a part of his kingdom. How can I be a part of his kingdom? Worship and obey. You come into his kingdom by seeing that he has all authority. And in verse 17, it's what the disciples do. In verse 9, it's what the women do that see him outside the tomb. What do they immediately do? The one who overcame death, the one who is king forever, the one who has all authority commands our worship. Friends, if you're not willing to fall down at the feet of Jesus and worship him, you have no part of him and you have no part of his kingdom. But that worship is lived out in obedience. Perhaps the hardest part of this text 
If you believe the resurrection, the hardest part of this text then is Jesus telling us, friends, your life is no longer about your vocation. Your life is no longer about your recreation. Your life is no longer about your relationships. Your life is no longer about you at all. Your life is about the king. You see, this is part of living in the kingdom. You worship the king who will be king forever. Then you want the king to be king in your life and in those around you. And Jesus tells us how to do that. You come as you worship and you obey. And he says in verses 19 and 20, here is how to obey. Make disciples. That's the command. He says, as you are going. In the English it says, go therefore. It certainly has a command type uh, uh, feel to it. But literally in the Greek it is, as you are going. You must go. You must live. You have been given a relationship. You've been given a vocation. You've been given a culture in which to live. Go in that culture. And here's what you're to do in that culture, in that vocation, in that neighborhood, in that family. Make disciples. Do you want to obey the king? Then be making disciples. Make disciples. He says, make disciples of all nations. It's not just for the Jews. Paul would say to us, it's for the Gentile alike. Praise the Lord. You and I are sitting in here as Gentiles and we must go to the nations. We pray for them. We go. Church, you must go. If you believe Jesus is risen from the dead, it changes the way you view everything and the way that you view what the king has said to you. And he has said to you, make disciples. Let me ask you this. What's your life defined by right now? Right now, if I had to tell you, what, or you had to tell us, what is your life defined by before these people that are sitting here? Who are you? The king says you're to be a disciple maker. Does that define your life? Do you use every bit of your life to do what the king has said to do? Make disciples. It doesn't mean you go and quit your job tomorrow and say, I'm a disciple maker from now on, I'm not a teacher. It means that you go into your job and you make disciples right where you are. It means that as you're going, make disciples. If God would send you to the nations, then let's go to the nations. If he would send you next door, then let's go next door. But church, we are to make disciples. Listen, you can sit here and say to me, Jesus is risen and amen and raise your hands as we sing songs about the risen king. But if we're not obeying the risen king, then we're living as if he is not risen. What are you doing with your life? Make disciples. Secondly, says baptizing them. Here's how to make disciples. Bring them into the kingdom. Baptism is the picture of the, the gateway into the gateway into the kingdom. It is your confession of faith. It is you saying, Lord, I have repented of sins and I'm coming into the kingdom. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them. We're to teach them. We're to train each other up. We're to mutually edify one another in instruction and admonition in scripture and what jesus has commanded us and then lastly know this i am with you jesus says there's a promise of presence here and all oh, my friends if you don't know in your life today the presence of the savior I want to invite you to come to him because his presence makes everything else pale in comparison. 
And it makes everything else, everything that would draw my allegiance and every kingdom that would pull me away, it makes it just pale in comparison. Am I tempted? Yes, I'm still tempted. Are you going to be tempted to go to all of these things that are pulling you and define your life? Yes. But when I come to the presence of the Lord, when I gather corporately, when I come into my quiet time with the Lord, there is nothing that can draw me away. Why? Because His presence is so awesome. Praise the King. He is risen. Come to Him today. If you don't know this King, I want to invite you to know Him today. Right after this service, Steve and I will be standing right here at the front. I want to invite you to come. You come grab our hand and say, I want to know your King. I want to be in that kingdom that lasts forever. We will help you with that decision. Come. Church, worship and obey. Worship and obey.